BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome, everybody, to the Juliana Forlano Show. So everyone knows that the Republican Party for decades has been making investment in local politics and structural power building. But guess what? The left is finally doing something to answer back to that. We'll be talking to Democratic strategist and the executive director for Run for Something, Amanda Lippman, in the second half of the show. First up, though, we got the headlines. Stay with us. All right, here are some of my favorite stories from this week, a little bit of a roundup. A private jet carrying 10 passengers crashed near Moscow yesterday, and guess who was on the passengers list? That's right, Yevgeny Pringosin. He is the Wagner Mercenary Group chief that led that short-lived mutiny against the Kremlin in June, you may remember. His death according to sources, has not been confirmed as of the recording of this podcast. But when reached for comment, Vladimir Putin said, Oh no, too bad. That is terrible news. How could this have happened? I will send full force of investigative powers to clean up any possible evidence. (laughs) I mean, seriously, Vladimir Putin is known for killing his rivals. (laughs) Do people still believe that this was some coincidental tragedy? I don't know. Also in the news, of course, was the Republican debate. I'm going to just, if you didn't watch it, I'm just going to give you basically the takeaways that I thought were interesting. So this is the nutshell version of it. Uh, The guy who is running 40 points ahead of everyone else couldn't make it because he is too busy fighting off indictments, one of which is about taking part in the attempted murder of one of the other guys on the stage. So that's where we're at. That's what it's come down to on the Republican side. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The, The front runner couldn't make it because he's out on bail in four different jurisdictions. The other guys all put their suits on and showed up, and the lady. DeSantis pledged to use the military force on uh, the Mexican drug cartels. I'm sure that's going to go well for our foreign relations with Mexico. DeSantis 2024, make America as good as it was in 1846 when we had the first Mexican-American war, huh? Yikes. Good Lord. All right. Chris Christie, from the looks of him, he was there too. He might actually be slimmer than former President Trump at this point. 
which is kind of interesting. I don't remember there being a lot of focus on uh, either now or when he was president on Trump's girth as as there has been on Chris Christie and Nikki Haley. She was there. She is running for vice president, I guess, I think. She sounded actually for a Republican, kind of like a sane Republican. I mean, if there's such a thing. Remember, uh, Republicans are the party who either are MAGA people or who are MAGA enablers. Because since Ronald Reagan came on the scene uh, so many decades ago, every Republican basically has been enabling the march toward a joint corporate corporate government state corporate and government merger as head of state also known in some parts as corporate fascism so for a republican for a fascism enabler nikki haley sounded a little more like a normal republican than a MAGA person. A couple of things she said, she called Taiwan and Ukraine friends of the US and said we should not hand Ukraine over to Russia, which flies in the face. I mean, she took a chance here. She flew in the, that, the MAGA people love Russia. They have said they like Russian President Vladimir Putin more than they like President Biden. What Nikki Haley said is you don't, you don't do that to friends. You don't hand over countries to their oppressors. <laughs> that sounds pretty sane, you know? And she also mentioned tr the truth, which is that Trump is the most disliked politician in America. He is more disliked than Joe Biden. Uh, three quarters of Americans don't, this is her quote, three quarters of Americans don't want a rematch between Trump and Biden. That's the truth. She's telling it. And for that, she will be punished. But she's looking good for vice, shoring up that lady vote. She is literally by no means an acceptable candidate for president of the United States. She's off base for the majority of Americans, of course, uh, who are pro-choice. Because what she said was in that, in that arena, and there were other crazy things she said too, but she's the least crazy of the crazies, I think. She said we need to court. Well, she didn't say corner, but basically she said the media needs to ask Biden if he's for abortion at 38 or 39 weeks, um, insisting that that is the media has failed to ask Biden if he is which of those weeks he is for abortion. Again, framing the debate around a woman's right to bodily autonomy in a way that doesn't take in any of the facts anyway. I mean, I don't have the exact numbers or how close to absolute zero they are, but I can I can say with assurance that zero, uh, zero women would want to deal with being friggin' pregnant for 38 weeks just to be like, meh, I changed my mind. The only time a woman might need an abortion at 38 weeks is if her life is in danger, if her health is in danger, if the fetus is in grave danger or stillborn. So just framing the debate that way is ridiculous. It's disgusting. It's just, it's just like flame, you know, bomb throwing. But if, it, if all the non-MAGA Republicans coalesced around one half-sane candidate, they might actually have a chance of beating Trump in the primary. 
But then the MAGAs would, of course, lose their mind or just not vote and Biden would win in the general. That is, that's what I think, that's what would happen. And by the way, non-MAGA Republicans, again, need to be called MAGA enablers because without all the hard work of these moderates in the decades before, we never would have gotten as close, I repeat, as close to a fascist dictatorship or the merger of corporation and state as we are right now. In an important turn of events around this debate, that's it. That's the only important thing that happened. (laughs) But an important turn of events that happened in the media around it is that Fox News did not allow Marjorie Taylor fascist Matt Gates, the accused child molester of Florida, and Don Jr. from being in their post-debate spin room. Why is that? Why is that? So Fox is trying to run down the center. Fox is distancing themselves from the most heinous of Trump supporters of fascists. Is that is that what's going on there? I, I found that very, very interesting. And I I mean, I, I hate to say heartening because I know that Fox News is always, they always have some long-term plan of what they're doing that has to do with the consolidation of power, corporate power, their own power. They're a propaganda wing for uh, the the right of this country, not not correct, but on the right of this country. And uh, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them, but I'm constantly trying to figure out what in the hell they're trying to do. Regardless, uh, just just watching that debate and and looking at all the the spin rooms and the talk around it. It's I mean, politics has always been kind of a dog and pony show. I remember going to um, Charlotte. I went to the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte. There was just like a lot of propaganda. There was like a huge, MSNBC was there handing out free cherry pie and apple pie and American flags. And you could get your picture taken with a cutout copy of Chris Matthews. And, you know, it was just, I, they may have have rides in the back and a carnival. I don't know. But it did have this kind of big, showy, walls of power kind of feeling. And there was a lot of dog and pony show back then. But now, now with what we're facing in terms of climate change, I mean, this is, it just feels like a truly fake PR activity. That's all just for show. And it's, it turned my stomach quite a bit. I mean, American cities are practically spontaneously combusting, if you consider spontaneously being 10, 10 or plus years of not updating the uh, <laughs> the downed wires and dangerous conditions that Hawaii Electric could have have updated. I covered that in one of my newscasts over the past week. If you if you're just listening to the podcast, you might want to check out my newscast on the Political Voices Network. They come out uh 8 a.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays on the Political Voices Network YouTube channel. Anyway, I it's just hard to focus on the dog and pony show when there are irregular weather pat- patterns happening causing deaths, causing the kind of deaths that are too horrible to think about like 
the hurricane that sparked these fires is because of negligence on the part of the electrical company, the utility company, and then dogs who are locked in their cars, the cars that catch fire, the dog dies, children alone at home when their house catches fire, can't find the body, reports of police blocking exits of the roads of the town for whatever unfortunate reasons that led to unfortunate outcomes for people. We are so deeply, right? And yet, yet we're, we're watching the dog and pony show. Everybody's up on stage looking good, making their jabs. We're so deeply in that spot in the movie Don't Look Up where the TV anchors are covering some BS chit chat while the scientists are trying to let everyone know that imminent doom is imminent. That's just kind of hard to watch one of those debates under those circumstances. Those are the important stories of the week. Of course, Trump's indictments are rolling on. He is, um, Giuliani's been indicted. He, Giuliani's turning himself in. He got, he had to go to like a bail bonds place. <laughs> so that's kind of fun to watch a little bit. Like it's, it's a little bit fun to watch these people of power in power who wielded power in the most horrible, horrible way, get their comeuppance and be put away from society so they cannot do any more damage, the kind of damage that they'd happily be willing to do if allowed to be in positions of power again. I'm Juliana Forlano. This is the Juliana Forlano podcast. I hope you are enjoying it. Coming up next, the interviews. Stay tuned. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Today on the program, executive director of Run For Something, Amanda Lippman's coming on to talk about her organization and how it is countering the Republican Party's decades-long investments in local politics and structural power building. We need that on the left, and she is doing it. She's going to tell us what's going on on the right and how it is being countered and maybe what we can all do to help. It's a great, really interesting conversation. Stick around. I think you'll enjoy it. Amanda, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Well, um, let's just jump right in here. Uh, it seems like the nation is riveted and focused on Trump, his indictments, his ability to run or win the U.S. presidency as the deciding factor in whether the U.S. continues to have a democracy, whether that stands or fails. What are your thoughts on this singularity that, of focus that we're seeing? Well, I get it. Um, it is exciting. It's a thing that everyone can see and feel. And I think it misses the real structure of the way American democracy works. Um, it is absolutely important who wins the White House. It's incredibly important to keep Trump out of power. And uh, the rest of the Republican Party has been remade in Trump's image. And when you start to think about the things that really affect your quality of life, um, the cost of your housing, how good or bad your schools are, how clean the water you drink is, whether or not it's easy or hard for you to vote, whether or not you can access the reproductive health care you need. All of that is being decided by people in state capitals, in city halls, on school boards. And there are Trump-ish people 
running and winning for all of those kinds of offices. So when I look ahead to what what is really going to be front and center in 2024, like, yeah, of course we care about the White House and we also have to care about everything else. Oh, yes. And so the right the right seems to have a structure in place that the left doesn't have um, to sort of attack from all sides, including these local elections. Can you talk about what is happening on that side and how your organization is countering it? So the right has for decades now built up an infrastructure that includes a mess of organizations from the Koch Brothers Funded Americans for Prosperity, which has its own state structure, um, they have well-funded the RNC, or at least have tried to well-fund the RNC over the years. Um, they have organizations now like Moms for Liberty, which is focusing specifically on school boards. We've seen them in the news a bunch. Um, and I think people often miss some of the, the slightly less political, but political adjacent organizations like the Leadership Institute, which has been around since 1979, is mostly funded by Republican mega donors and does training and recruitment for people both working on Republican campaigns, but also more importantly, running for office as Republicans across the country. Um, in particular, over the last couple of years, they've been focusing on school boards, uh, which gives you a sense of where their head is at. Um, the Republican Party has done a really good job, I'll give them credit on this, on focusing on the structures of power. Uh, they understand that if you control who decides how to vote and how the maps are drawn, in particular, you think about the state legislative races of 2010, um, over the last 15 years, 13 years, uh, they get it that if you can control those two things, how people vote and what the maps are in the first place, whether or not you're more popular doesn't really matter. What Run for Something has been trying to do since we launched in 2017 is combat that. So we work exclusively with young people running for local office for the very first time. So that's state legislatures, city council, school board, library board, uh, American River Flood Control District trustee, coroner, community college boards, executive councils, the more than half a million positions that are not Congress and not president that ultimately determine whether or not we can win things like Congress or president. How young is young? Would you take an old lady? <laughs> I mean, really, because I think it's great to have young people come out, but also like, I'd love to see granny come out and, you know, start hitting from the hitting, hitting all over the bleachers. So run for something exclusively works with people 40 years old and under, which is not to say that if you're over 40, you shouldn't run. You absolutely should. We need more people who are not rich, old, white dudes, candidly, um, to run for office and win. And we had to focus our work at least a little bit to make sure that we're able to provide services for the people who are in a particular moment in life. And I will say young people wildly underrepresented in government. You know, think about Congress, the average age in the House is like 58, 59, and the Senate is 63, 64. School board is 59. Fewer than five to 8% of state legislators are under the age of 35. Government just isn't representative of the American people, which are younger and more diverse and living a very different quality of life than older folks. I've heard you talk in other places about how a lot of that is a by design, uh, mm -hmm. keeping out young people, keeping out people who aren't already sort of bought into what might be of use to structures of, of power that are already there. Talk about what, what people have been facing up until this point. Well, the structure of our institutions determines who is able to enter them. So think about, let's say, state legislature. Um, it, in many states is a full-time job, and in many states it is not. Uh, in very few places it is paid like the kind of full-time job that it is. You know, in New Hampshire, I think they just gave them a raise up to maybe $400 a year plus a per diem. 
Um, you often have to maintain two households or at least maintain two households for a small period of time when you're living in the state capital during session and then coming home on weekends. Um, these are positions that are really hard for someone who is working <laughs> a normal nine to five or is a teacher or you know, is a nurse or has young kids or maybe isn't independently wealthy or isn't already retired. Uh, it's really, really difficult if you're anything other than an older, already wealthy human. Now, we have been really uh, glad to be able to work with folks who've started to change some of this from increasing the pay for state legislators to making it more possible for people to use campaign funds to pay for childcare. But a lot of this has to happen from folks on the inside. You like can't change it without people there actively changing the structures. There's also a bunch of stuff that happens outside of these political uh, or governing bodies, like the way that political parties recruit candidates and think who can win um, and assume because a young person probably doesn't have as much access to wealth that they're not a worthwhile candidate. We do not operate that way, but many people do. So it's, it's worth both balancing those two places, the structures and the people welcoming folks into them. I noticed that uh, David, David, um, Hogue, survivor of the Parkland mm -hmm. shooting in Florida, sent me an email about your organization, which I was excited to see. Um, are you seeing sort of the, the gun issue specifically and maybe the environment or some of these other issues that are specifically affecting young people, guns in schools, I mean, guns are affecting all of us, but uh, causing people to maybe want to run for office sooner and, and be engaged in politics earlier than, than generations past? Totally. We're seeing issues like guns in schools. We're seeing issues like housing, which especially if you're a young person who's probably not able, able to afford to buy a home right now, um, is a really big problem for young people. Uh, things like access to reproductive health care. Um, if you're in your 20s and 30s, it's not an abstraction. It's deeply personal and it's very uh, omnipresent as you think about your future. Um, things like affordable education. Uh, maybe you are probably still paying off student loans. Um, all of this is making young people really understand that the government we currently have is not fighting for us um, and we can't wait. And I think this is the thing that people often miss with looking at, especially Gen Z, but some millennials as well. They think like, oh, they're nihilistic. They think nothing can matter. In fact, it's the direct opposite. It's that everything is important. The crisis is urgent. And we cannot waste a single second sort of like messing around, trying to waste time um, pretending that the crisis isn't happening now. Oy. Uh, when we're talking about young people who are seeing these problems, are we, is there as many young people? We always hope that the youth will have the lights on a little more than the youth of the past. Is there any, you know, and people my own age are like, I hope the youth will save us. <laughs> <laughs> are there are there any um, from from where you sit? What are your thoughts on young people? Are there are they as split as say the, you know, the middle or older generations on wanting fascism versus wanting democracy? Young people are dramatically more progressive than older folks, um, and it's worth noting that young people are more diverse. It's more people of color. It's more LGBTQIA folks. Um, it's often more working class people than previous generations, um, which all plays into this way in which they understand their political space. Um, 
there is often a little bit of condescension that sometimes come of like, oh, just wait till they get older, they'll get more conservative. Like we have not seen that to be true yet. In election after election for the last eight years, young people um, 18 to 34 have continued to overwhelmingly vote for Democrats when they do show up at the polls. And they've continued to show up at the polls in a greater representation or greater proportion than uh, boomers, silent generation, or Gen X at the same age. That's Which funny. Say, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Which is just to say like, the young people are showing up <laughs> and don't discount them. That's funny. I'm I'm of that age where they say, oh, you'll become a little more conservative. And I have become a little more conservative and I'm still strongly considered a progressive. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, that's kind of an interesting thing um, that conservative it, it, uh, conservatives have mo has moved to the right. You're still on the left, even if you hold some conservative ideology. Yes, I mean, you're not a fascist, which goes no. a long way towards not being a Republican in 2023. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, back to a point that you made earlier, the right has been, has is is organized and they seem like they have been attacking power from a whole bunch of different areas, focusing on the structure. They're playing a long game. Mm -hmm. What is with the Democrats that, or, you know, the left that, that, that are they playing a long game that no one's noticing or it seems like we're always just putting out fires we're trying um i think this is one of the biggest differences between the right and the left and it's really where the funding comes from um republican mega donors cook brothers shelton adelson and the like um they see their giving as a business investment when republicans win they understand it to be good for business which means it's okay to bear a couple losses cycle after cycle knowing that ultimately you know we joke well they got their tax cuts and their judges but like yeah they got their tax cuts and their judges and <laughs> that's good for their business their bottom line or at least they think it is they're able to make longer term investments Democrats, generally speaking, like to give to the shiny objects. We like to give to the flashy things. We like to give out of fury at the horrific thing someone said or did, or out of hope because the candidate inspires us. And both of the things are understandable and valuable, but they do not build power. Like investing in hundreds of state legislative races is not sexy. It's not exciting. It is so important to winning. Um, but those are not always the same thing. So I do think there is uh, a lot of progress that's been made over the last six years, seven years, but we're still catching up to the idea that we got to keep funding this work, got to keep investing in it year after year, not just in the on years either, not just in the even numbered years, but every year, day in, day out, because that's how you win. Um, and I would like I would like to win more. <laughs> I would also like to win more. And I think it's interesting because I'm hoping that the young people who get in or, or the progressives that are running, winning, getting in will 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 start to actually remove some of the corruption that has gotten people in to distrust government. I mean, the, the right has been actively seeking to undermine faith in government or even a desire to have a government since Reagan. And I can't you know, my my memory, my political memory ends at Reagan. But um, <laughs> I know, you know, that we can't just tell the people on the left to get in government and we'll fix everything by getting in because government has been so corrupted by 
you know, from anything from campaign finances to having lobbyists in the EPA and some of these other regulatory agencies. How do we fight against this idea that government is untrustworthy when because it's been corrupted by corporate influence, it actually is kind of untrustworthy? I think it's one of the things I've loved seeing the folks that run for something has helped elect over the years um, prove wrong. Um, when you elect leaders who are in it because they want to do something, not just because they want to be something, when they're in it because it's personal, when they're in it with the moral clarity that comes with being a young person who's like, you know what, the system isn't meant for me, but I'm forcing my way in anyway. Um, many of the folks we work with do not take corporate money, not all, but many of them. Um, many of them are wildly outspent in their campaigns and they win anyway. Um, many of them are the first of their kind, the first woman, the first young person, first person of color, first Latino, first uh, queer person to enter these political bodies. All of that means um, that when they show up, they do it differently. And they do it in a way that no one's ever seen before. And they tend to lead with their humanity first as opposed to their own self-interest. And I do think that's a distinction. It's not to say that there aren't older leaders who don't also do that, but I, I do think it's something we've noticed with the young people we've worked with over the last six years is they are showing up and modeling a new way to be a politician in a way that at least I think gives me hope and faith that government can be good when good people are part of government. It, is, it is only as meaningful as the people inside of it. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Um, has there been a chilling effect on people wanting to run given what we've seen with say even just recently in the news like the the, the magas yeah. willing to do violence um against both elected people and uh, or uh, or just from the news this week shopkeepers who are willing to say these are my values you know a, a lgbtq friendly shop with the rainbow flag the woman was was killed in california it's definitely something we're hearing a lot of candidates and potential candidates bring up is the fear for their public safety and for the safety of their families. And we're trying to come up with some ways we can help them throughout the campaign. Um, and what we like to remind folks is that's a tactic meant to keep you out. They're trying to scare you out of engaging here. That's not to say you shouldn't take it seriously. You absolutely should. And that's the goal. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. So keeping that in mind. Um, and I, I do think it does scare some people away as it absolutely can and should but there are other people who see that and say screw this i'm i'm getting in this fight anyway and maybe because of it so the republicans have beat us on not even just republicans but like the magas have beat steve Ban steve bannon's precinct strategy talk a little bit about that please in case folks don't know about it so see steve bannon over the last couple of years has been laying out what he calls his precinct strategy where he's trying to take over in many places the republican party from within um, taking over precinct captains, uh, controlling um, often at the neighborhood or block by block level, who is running the political organizing effort in that place. And often um, that includes things like election workers, poll workers, local election administrators. So Run for Something over the last two years has been running a program we call Clerk Work, a little bit of rhyme, uh, where we're trying to elect people who are pro-democracy, pro-voter, to the positions that actually administer elections. So that even if there are bad actors in that place who are trying to undermine democracy from the ground up, 
the people in charge are like not willing to to engage or negotiate with these you know terrorists for lack of a better term um they are perfect term perfect term <laughs> there is um i think a real inclination on the side of the left which is something we're trying to push back on to preemptively target this kind of work to only the battleground places or only electoral college states um, but the right is not doing that. The right is running these in places as varied as, of course, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, but also Washington State, New York, California. Um, they are trying to subvert democracy from within in as many places as possible. And we're trying to combat that in as many places as possible. But it takes time and it takes money. So, I mean, they don't mess around. They go to a, they're like, let's, we'll, we'll, We'll do a 50 state strategy, even though Connecticut is so blue and New York is so blue. They they they're attacking on all fronts. Well, you know, think about the the House races in 2022, where we lost the House, not in competitive battleground states, but in places like California and New York, mm. where had the Democratic Party been seriously investing and engaging um, in a more broad way over the last 10 years, maybe we wouldn't have. You, know, you never know when something is going to become a competitive um, place or a competitive race and at what level. Yeah, um, I'm from upstate New York, which has gone mm -hmm. red recently after having been blue for my entire lifetime and decades before that because it's a working class area. Yeah. And I, I noticed then that when Sinclair Media took over the local TV stations and they're they're so insidious with what they do in case the viewers aren't aware it's a very right-wing um, network yeah. that has gone in and bought up the local TV channels and then had your same, the very same people who've been giving you the news, the weather, the sports for, for decades, all of a sudden are forced to do these right-wing talking points. And that is so insidious because you wind up trusting Maureen Green from ABC9, yeah. who has told you about the state fair for 30 years and the cow and that, you know, to all of a sudden be talking about freedoms and, you know, just things in, in that way. How do we combat? I mean, I know your organization is doing such a great job. Um, how does it intersect with the media landscape um, that is so uh, propagandist? so hard and the best thing folks can do is subscribe to your local news um it is a really tricky thing for us because we as much as we want to support the candidates and find people to run and encourage them to get the word out often the vehicles that they used to use to get the word out the local newspapers local media channels are either controlled by the far right or no longer exist in the first place um so there's not yeah that's happening here where i live and really hard a right um, area connecticut yes yeah so what we'd really make sure to think about is are there ways that government, when people run and win, can help support local media, whether that's like pushing for advertising in local media or, um, you know, there's a, there's a couple of different policy options here and ways that governments, local governments can support the media outlets. It'd be um, great if we got back to equal time at the minimum. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> what, I mean, what we focused on here in this area was, um, voter turnout efforts mm -hmm. because we had so many more blue than red but yet red was t taking the day yeah so that was that was the strategy that 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 was fairly successful here um let's talk about the resurgence of the labor movement here in the u.s yeah. because i think that really helps uh the the left yes yes absolutely um, and we have been thrilled to see so many unionization efforts across the country in communities, both red and blue. Um, and we know that when people join unions, 
they are able to build a sense of class solidarity, um, which often helps them more likely to show up for Democrats. And I think it is important to note that the demise of unions, the weakening of unions has been a Republican strategy. It's a political tactic that they have used over the years across different states um, because unions are really powerful at mobilizing voters. Um, so to weaken a union is to weaken their mobilization efforts. Um, so and didn't I, the Democrats yeah. used to get like a lot of money from the labor from labor. I mean, it, totally. it was like labor versus these millionaires. And then the Democrats decided, hey, let's move away from labor and get in on some of that good, you know, billionaire corporate cash. And here we are. I mean, it's definitely part of it is financial efforts, but I, I think the even more meaningful piece around the labor work is the way that um, labor unions were really strong um, factorial for community. And they were able to get people to show up at the polls because that's what you did as part of your union as you showed up to vote. Um, it was part of your, your solidarity with your comrades. And I think seeing that now across sort of a different type of um, person, different type of union member than maybe we have in the past is really meaningful. Let's talk about for someone who might be young and watching, who might consider, I mean, I love the, I love the name of your organization. It's Run for Something, meaning Lord. <laughs> anything. Anything. Mm -hmm. Talk about how first let's talk about how important it is to get uh, on some of these little known um, seats in local government. And then and then we can talk about maybe some of the the, the things that people might be thinking like, who, me? And I don't have the money and I don't have the personality or th those some let's get out of the way. Some of those some of those um, pre-existing notions that may be false. So if you're the kind of person that watches this for 20 some odd minutes, you are the kind of person that should think about running for office. Um, and I, I don't say that lightly. Um, there are, as I said a, a little bit earlier, more than half a million elected offices in the United States. Um, most of them are not Congress or president or governor. Most of them are small, small, small. They are not full time positions. Many of them are not paid positions either. Um, many of them have a number of voters that you need to reach that is totally manageable. Like 500, 1,000, 5,000, certainly varies depending on where you are and what kind of office you want to run for. But it's a number of voters that would surprise you. Think about school board, for example. 75% of school board races cost $1,000 or less. 85% cost $5,000 or less. That's not a lot of money. I mean, it's something. But it's not a lot of money. And remember, you as a candidate are not self-funding. You are asking your friends and family to invest in a place that they love and invest in a future that you share. Um, you're not asking them for a loan for lunch. You're asking them to, to make sure, work with you to build a better place for everyone to live. If you start thinking about the problems that you encounter in your day-to-day -day life, things like, I don't know, I have a baby. She goes to daycare. It is outrageously expensive. That is a thing that the state government could help solve. Um, the quality of the streets you drive on, the public transit, the cost of your rent or your mortgage, um, whether or not restaurants are easily able to open where you live, um, the kind of books available at your local library. All of those, I think I said this a little bit earlier, are covered by state and local government. So when you start thinking about the problem you want to solve, the office that gives you power to solve it, and then start to begin to answer the question, why should voters want you to win? Why should your neighbors want you to win? Not why do you want to win? Winning is great and losing sucks. But why should other people want you to win? If you can answer those three questions, everything else about your campaign is logistics. It's hard logistics, but it's logistics. And it's the thing that Run for Something can talk through with you and help you get set up. So 
if you are watching this and you are thinking about running for office or thinking about thinking about thinking about running for office, or thinking like maybe one day, not today, I'm not ready, but maybe one day, you can go to runforwhat.net. You can enter your name and your address and you can look up all of the offices available for you to run in 23 if there are still any up and then in 2024 and maybe 2025 if we have that data yet. Once you do that, you'll start getting information from our team, guides on how to file, how to think about your campaign, events that we're hosting. You know, We're bouncing around the country over the next couple of months, putting together panels and conversations. We'll connect you to people who can help you get started. We'll connect you to the people we've worked with in your community. This is not a promise. It's not a commitment. It's just to say, I'm thinking about it. Tell me a little more. That's so interesting. I think every political science major ever mm-hmm. went into political science because they were thinking about it even from a young age, a way to make a difference in their community, um, that kind of thing. So this is great what you're doing. I'm very pleased that you're supporting people. I might do it myself and lie about my age because I'm above the threshold. I've been interviewing people who are doing um, Emily's List and some of the other groups who might be supportive. So if you're too old, but you still want to do it, there are other groups. Um, We have so (laughs) many resources available to you. Even if you're not under 40, we have a ton of stuff we can provide for you. Most of everything we've got is accessible. It's free. Um, Maybe we can endorse you. But we will connect you to partners who can. So please, please, please sign up, even if you are under 40. Millennials are not millennials, but the Gen X and millennials, I straddle the two. Yeah. Uh, we've got nothing to do because our, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we might as well run for office, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So uh, um, uh, Amanda Lippman, thank you so much for coming on. Run for Something is the organization. I really appreciate the work that you do. I think, I mean, you're so right on. We talk about these big shine even in the media we talk about like the shiny object and the internet doesn't help us because most people want to talk about the shiny object and then the algorithm supports you talking about the shiny object and then some suddenly everyone's talking about the shiny object and not paying paying attention to basically the man behind the curtain the republicans who've been playing this long game for a long time and i'm i'm really happy to see that you're um helping the democrats you know, and play the long game here. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk about. Great. I hope you'll come back and join us again. I'm Juliana Forlano. You're listening to the Juliana Forlano show here on the Political Voices Network. Thanks. Thanks for watching. I'm Juliana Forlano. As we come to the end of summer and the beginning of the more active news and political cycle. People are coming home from vacations. School is starting up. Things are getting more serious. We at the Political Voices Network are here to uh, help you through it, parse you through it. I hope that this podcast is of service to you and um, the many, many other wonderful hosts that we have on the Political Voices Network. So thanks for watching The Juliana Forlano Show. Uh, And definitely go on our YouTube page, and 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 subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Leave your comments if you wanna if you wanna reach me. The be- I'm still on Twitter slash X. Uh, if you wanna reach me, that is a good place to reach me. Or you can find me both uh, trolling my own comment section on the Political Voices Network um, on the comments uh, on this podcast. Or I have my own YouTube page called More Juliana. In case you would like more Juliana. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week.